Welcome to the 71st episode of Dolika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tankilisan. I'm Swedian Lee. This is our first episode after Lebaran, so to our listeners, I hope you all have a good Idul Fitri. Minal Aydin and Mohon maaf lahir dan batin. So with this episode, we're back and we're going to talk about the parliamentary elections. So we're going to talk about a little bit what the parliament actually does, how they're elected and how hard it is to pass the parliamentary threshold, and the ramifications for the next five years of Jokowi's presidency, as well as the ones after that. We're going to indulge a little bit of speculation because that's part of the fun of talking about politics here. As we talk about you know, potential coalition shifts, is there going to be a cabinet reshuffle, etc. That's all going to unfold over the next few months and we're excited to talk about it. So here's to it. It's um, it seems like the election results are gonna hold, um, and and I feel like given that we can start talking about what this means for the next five years of our country, yeah, and um, but there are definitely some changes and some gossip that we will talk about in a little bit. Yeah. So as a reminder to our listeners who may not be as well versed in Indonesian parliamentary rules. Neither are we, honestly. I know. Uh, take everything we say with a grain of salt. Um, Fact checked it, obviously. Um, so the parliamentary threshold in um, the Indonesian parliament is 4%. So a party has to reach at least 4% of the votes in order to make it to the national parliament. So this means 4% of like everybody who votes in Indonesia. Um, there are divisions based on the different wilaya or regions. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if you're voting on in Jakarta, you know, you're voting for a candidate there and the winning candidate will get those votes. But roughly translated, it's for the whole party needs to have a 4% vote nationally. So that means that the 4% vote is, oh. uh, I did the math. There's 192 people who voted in Indonesia this past election, Ooh. which is good job, Indonesia, 80% election, right? Um, uh, but that means that a 4% vote is 7.6 million votes. Not insignificant. That's a pretty big number. No. Um, you have to get over 7.68 million votes to become eligible for a seat in parliament mm-hmm. and then the seats are then like allocated proportionally to the total number of votes that your party has mm-hmm. um so it requires the significant number of votes across the country like to make this happen and then also you know this is a characteristic of indonesian democracy it is rare that one party just like landslide victory over everyone else yeah for the most part votes are pretty spread out across parties in a way that parties have to work together. Yeah, there are nine parties that pass this parliamentary threshold. The closest, the lowest party was PPP or Partai Persatuan Pembangunan or United Development Party with 4.5% of the votes. And then it goes to PAN, National Mandate Party, 6.8%, the Democratic Party, 
SBS um, Old Party, 7.7. Yeah. And then PKS, the Prosperous Justice Party, at 8.2. NASDEM at 9.05%. And then PKB at 9.69%. And, of course, Golkar, 12.31%, which used to dominate the entire national elections, quote-unquote mm-hmm. national elections, under uh, Suharto. Uh, Garindra, which got 12.57, and the biggest winner by far is PDIP, Partai Democracia Indonesia, or Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle, which is Jokowi's party and Megawati's party, which is 19.33%. Mm-hmm. So, as you can see, like, even the biggest winner has 19% of the polls, like, not even one-fifth of the national vote. Yeah. It creates kind of, like, this necessity of coalition building. This is the unique thing about the Indonesian parliamentary system too. If you remember before, you have you need to have over thirty five percent in order to nominate a political presidential candidate. Yeah. And so in the past, what is done is that you needed to have the old five year election results count for the thirty five percent because clearly, I mean, this is just being counted now. So this election result will determine. In five years, who, which parties are eligible to coalesce together and nominate a presidential election candidate? So, like, this is not just important for DPR, but it's important for the future of who gets to become president of Indonesia. So what does this mean in terms of the actual seats for the parliament? We're right now talking about uh, percentages in terms of in terms of the votes they acquired, right? Yeah. So once the parties have reached the threshold, um, gained more than 4%, then however many votes they have is proportionally divided out between themselves, between the nine parties. And then that percentage is translated into seats. It's kind of complicated because it's like, if we use PDIP as an example, they had 19.33% of the national vote. Yeah. Um, that means 22.26% amongst the nine parties that made it to parliament. And then that 22.26% number is converted into seats, which in this case is 128 seats out of 575 seats overall. So a lot of math. Yes. To put it into perspective, PDIP, which is the party that has the most representation, has 128 seats. PPP, which is the party with the least representation, has 19 seats. Right. We kind of like went through it pretty quickly. There's obviously a lot of resources breaking all of this down uh, that are much more knowledgeable and informed than we are. But that's kind of like right, yes. a quick summary, quick not so quick summary of the numbers of the parties involved. And, you know, the... The parties moving forward that we're going to be talking about. So why is this important, right? Besides the whole... Um, unless you're like... Sweden uh, just uh, squirted his water. Um, unless you're like politics nerds like us. Uh, two main reasons. One, um, which generally gets played a lot in headlines, is who gets the great seats in the cabinet? So who will become minister of... Uh, the courting minister of political and social affairs, economic affairs, maritime affairs... Home affairs, foreign affairs, and the like. These are all political type appointees. So this is decided 
by the president. Mm -hmm. And so it's like in the US, it's a secretary system, secretary of state, and so on and so on. Um, in this sense, the reason why people want to be in the winning coalition is that you get to, you know, be a part of the president's coalition and your party can help one of your people become minister mm -hmm. in an important ministerial post. Um, so that's why people would like to be in the coalition that wins. Exactly. Um, which is why there are rumors that Ahaye has, you know, approached Jokowi to potentially join the, the Indonesia Works Coalition or whatever they're going to name this new cabinet in the future is. Um, so there's that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ahaye, who is uh, SBS son, uh, and a member of the Democratic Party, Partai Demokrat. We last heard of him in the gubernatorial race in Jakarta, mm -hmm. where he did not make the final, um, you know, uh, what is that, the second round of voting? Yeah. But he is clearly somebody that is charming, that is capable, that has a lot of political potential. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are trying to make sure trying to help set up his career so that there's a there's a smooth path forwards, whether that's to become minister, to become even a future presidential candidate. So I think, you know, it's it's, it's not a bad move to start courting Jokowi and and right. and honestly also for Jokowi to consider. And there and there was also I think um a little bit disagreement behind the scenes over what happens after uh, Prabowo lost election. I think mm -hmm. I, I and that camp wanted to move on with the with the results and just go on to governing, yes. whereas Prabowo wanted to contest election further. And I think there was some discomfort in the extent of which Prabowo was pursuing that. Yeah. And also, um, our condolences to the death of Ibu. Ani Yudhoyono, the mother of Ahae and the former first lady of Indonesia, the wife of President Susilo Lamang Yudhoyono. I just mm -hmm. want to give a note that she did do a lot of social work campaigns like the um, smart vaccines against polio and a bunch of other causes. And by and large, she was seen as a supportive wife and a wife that is not just like sits by the husband but like supports him behind the scenes and was really smart and capable and really helped the Yudoyono government and Yudoyono himself govern and take care of his own people. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, uh, I personally think Ahaya has no nothing to lose in in quoting Jokowi, and we should also note that in a uh, in a press conference, Jokowi has sort of like jokingly said, "Why not?" to the idea of having Ahaya mm -hmm. uh, become a future minister, and I think that's sort of like the right attitude because there's no reason, and I'm a firm believer in this. There's no reason to shut out the opposition just because they lost. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think. In a in a true democracy, turbulent political climate as well. The more people mm -hmm. get along, the better, in my opinion. Yeah, and also like there's a reason why the opposition acquired the kind of support they did, right? Like they're concerned about things and they want to change it. And I think any true democratic leader should listen to those concerns and invite others who are useful and willing to address those concerns in a democratic way 
to be part of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, you know, I think there's going to be uh, more rumors moving forwards in terms of what the cabinet composition will be. If it gets reshuffled, will Ahaya be part of that? I think given his background, there's a lot of potential there and good for them. Yeah. Um, it's also, I think, crucial to to court um, opposition parties anyways, because there's another five years, we need to work together, we need to work hard. And Partai Democrat, even though they, they lost a lot of seats um, compared to 2014, they're still a significant party and SBA still has a lot of power. It's soft mm-hmm. power in the political sense, but still a lot of power and influence in my opinion. Oh, for sure. He does have a lot of big political cachet um, as the only two-term president in our country history that's alive mm-hmm. and was democratically voted. <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> funny how that's like a huge milestone. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, you know, uh, remembering sort of like our conversations during the Jakarta gubernatorial race, I was... You know, Ahaya seemed very green, right? Agus seemed very green. And certainly his policies during that time, in terms of like what he was planning to do, seemed very green. But they're not necessarily bad policies, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he seems, at least, you know, I'm sort of like, now that the election is over, let's think about this objectively. He seems like a good candidate for a, for a political career. Yeah, for sure. On that note as well, uh, this is more speculative than Ahaya because Ahaya has actually met with Jokowi supposedly just for fun <laughs> mm. there are rumors that Sandy could also be uh, yeah that's what I've heard into. too that will be interesting right because he was uh, the VP candidate of Prabowo and if anybody still remember his face after the results were announced I don't think anybody was convinced that he was as gung-ho about contesting the results as Prabowo. He, he, yeah. he seemed like that tortured... With his case of hiccups. I know. It's like, oh, he was sick for a few days. Sure. Um, you know, I think he's planning ahead. Mm-hmm. I don't... Similarly to Hai, I think Sandy has potential as a political career. I'm less... I'm, I'm, a, I'm more doubtful about, like, uh, where he stands in terms of, like, his values. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they seem malleable. But he is not necessarily a bad person to court or a person of interest in terms of like the future of politics, right? I don't know. What do you think? I think um, that would be an interesting political move for him. I think he should like, I think for him, he's in an awkward position, right? Because Mm -hmm. that could have been a really big step up. But now after that, being vice governor of Jakarta seems like big of a letdown. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to leverage his popularity and the fact that he didn't piss anyone off somehow to his advantage. And he's still like considered marketable and competent by a lot of people. So, yeah, this might be politically a good route for him. But yeah. Well, I think, you know, we won't really hear anything concrete because. Technically, his coalition with Prabowo are still contesting the results. So I don't think mm-hmm. he'll ever come out, at least not for the next few months, to be like, "Oh, I want to work. With, I want want to work in government." Mm-hmm. Um, but food for thought, because again, you know, I don't think just because you lost that means you can't be part of the government. Obviously, you can't just like ignore your coalition, but it shouldn't be that black and white. Mm-hmm. Speaking of coalition. There has been many uh, openly made remarks by various leaders of these parties in Jokowi's camp who are like, now that we've won, how many seats are we going to get? 
which is, you know, part for the course in terms of Indonesian democracy, right? Like part of why they wanted to support the winning candidate is to get these seats. And mm-hmm. this is going to be where, in my opinion, the battleground for like whether or not Jokowi's second term will be a success will be made. Like who are the people you're going to appoint, the parties you're going to appease? Because not only do you have to appease the parties by appointing ministers, but it's also like, these parties are ruling over parliament. They're going to yeah. be the ones that are trying to pass your laws. And, you know, so it's a constant negotiation game. Yeah. So what are the duties and rights of the Indonesian parliamentary members? So first, the funnest one of all, the one that I feel like most people will be um, familiar with is that Mm -hmm. they do have the right to impeach the president or vice president if, um, if there is suspicions that the president or vice president has done things that are against the law or no longer fulfill the conditions that uh, that need to fulfill as president and vice president. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, has been used before in the impeachment of, uh, President Abdul Rahman Wahid. Wahid? Better known as Gusdur. Better known as Gusdur, but they're like no confidence to it and, and the fact that his, his entire coalition rebelled against him. Yeah. Um, second, it's like a legislative body. So they get to, um, create laws, write laws, and then have it be pushed to the president to be approved. They also have a right to investigate and ask for clarifications. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the right. They have the right to question ministers, government officials, to discuss the policies and approach that you know affects people's lives and communities. And they can also investigate current and existing laws regarding different policies that affect people and that might clash with other laws. Yeah. And they can also um, talk about foreign relations and and matters that concern our Indonesian territories. So mm-hmm. so it's a very important and like all inclusive legislative body. Yeah. Um, it is the it's the main body that checks and balances the president's power. And that's crucial in a coalition democracy as as ours. Mm-hmm. It's never, you know, if we were to compare it to like American politics, it's never a case where like either your party is in power or your party is not. It is much more complicated and nuanced mm-hmm. than that. And it's a, and it's, it's not like each coalition and the coalition will always vote together. It's not even. No, yeah. Like, I also find it really difficult to track who voted for what because there's no like actual organization that tracks every vote and who votes for what. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a, I think that's something that would be sorely needed. And, uh, if anyone wants to do that, you got my support. Yeah. You know what is interesting though? Related to like, coalition government in parliament and also like the ministerial appointments Jokowi has sort of like come out and said like because this is his second term like he can't run again after this he's gonna be and you know experts have also said this he's gonna be much more I think aggressive mm-hmm. in terms of choosing the people he want in order to push the policies that he's talked about 
that he's, he's long for. Yeah, like he's not afraid to lose an election anymore, right? Which is always like a hindrance. Like, are you going to uh, choose people that will get you to win the next election or actually get your policies across and get things done? Now it feels like he feels empowered to do that because he, he has five years and that's it. Speaking of cabinet reshuffle, there's there's rumors ever since April and May that there's probably going to be one coming up, um, certainly after Eid Fitri. Mm-hmm. So we'll be on the lookout of that. Obviously, we just came back, so who knows what's going to happen. But I'm curious about this because you know, I've never really dug into the cabinet or sort of like conversations about this as much. But in my research, I was surprised that there's a fair number of ministerial appointees that are independent. Hmm. I, you know, I kind of just assumed everybody's going to be like a political appointee that is proportional to your coalition. But I was pleasantly surprised that... It's not that way. It's not that way. I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is real democracy. It's like, we're actually going to try to get shit done. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like... Am I too optimistic? Am I too naive? Be too much. Yeah. I mean, All like... right, you, you, you bring me down to earth with your jaded political uh, know-how. Like, okay, let's say Ramir Sadrashadu, who is the Minister of Defense, right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, classified as independent, but he has to be because he was formerly part of the government. I mean, the military apparatus. So that's, like, should be disqualified. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, like, Ignacio Shonan, the Ministry of Energy and Mineral Resources, classified as independent, but he's really close to people in a in a democratic party mm-hmm. like it's like pretty much like under them their like purview but you know it's classified as independent because he had to be for his previous role as the chairman of the train authority um mm-hmm. similar to the independent um Sumadi, who was the ceo of Ankasapura and became the minister of transportation so these are like bayouman appointees your state enterprises, that right? Was political state enterprises, which are related, and like there are some people that like I may not know, but like I'm suspicious that they are like truly, truly <laughs> independent in the sense of like what it actually means, like especially like you know Rudy Antara, who was the minister of communication and inform- informatics, like. He was previously an independent commissioner of Indosat, so like he had to be independent for his job. Uh, like a lot of this doesn't mean that they are actually uh, like Shari Fudin, mm-hmm. who was previously the Indonesian National Police Deputy Chief. Like these are like a lot of people who are like, like Andrini Sumarno, who was the minister, who is the minister of state-owned enterprises, is very much within the Pedepe like sphere of influence. Yeah, if you like take apart their personal relationships outside of their political affiliation, it's not quite as independent anymore. And, and if anything, like I see this as like, if you see the allocation of parties, right, mm-hmm. uh, that was given, Fedeipe technically has five ministers, but like, plus their people and their sheer influence is like a lot more, you know? So That's a fair point. You know, but I bring you down to earth. <laughs> I mean, it, it it reminded me of a crucial part of Indonesian politics, which is the personal relationships like that. Yeah. Oftentimes can even trump like party allegiance, right? Because these are mm-hmm. a lot of the power lies in these relationships. The people, you know, 
your spheres of influence. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to be optimistic, and certainly, you know, seeing the the list we've compiled of all the ministers and their supposed allegiances, I think fair enough. They might not all be super independent, but I do think, aside from whether they're independent or not. There are some good appointees where it seems like their previous work experience corresponds to their current position. Yeah. The classic example is like Ratno Marsudi, who is our Minister of Foreign Affairs. She used to be the ambassador of the Netherlands. It seems to make sense that like, oh yeah, somebody who's actually exposed to foreign cultures and like worked with other countries should be the Minister of Foreign Affairs. And I think she, you know, she's doing a great job. Yeah. Um, It seems to contrast with like a lot of other governments where they're just like, Picking whoever works, right? Like, certainly, like, in America, you have Ben Carson uh, being the Secretary of Urban Housing. I'm like, how does that make sense? <laughs> He's a doctor, <laughs> right? So it's not just, like, trying to appease the political parties, but actually try to get people who have expertise, who have knowledge, to be minister. Yeah. And I think part of that may be attributed to the fact that, like, we have five-year terms. So, like, yeah, more stuff needs to get done. You don't suddenly go into election mode that quickly. So, yeah. although with that said, you know, uh, not so much, I think, with Jokowi's administration, but, like, in past administrations, the topic of cabinet reshuffle is always a hot topic. Totally. It can get real dramatic real fast. People speculate all the time, as we are right now, because it could be just, like, Oh, who whose favor did you lose that you suddenly get shifted, et cetera, et cetera. And and then what, once you shift one person, that affects the other positions because there's like yeah. a, a mental map of sorts. Like if you shift this person to a higher power, then like who gets what? <laughs> um So yeah, like I feel like there are a lot of things to speculate. We thought that this would be a hard episode to talk about. But it turns out, as always, we ended up talking for a lot of different issues Mm -hmm. i think we thought it was important to discuss this issue because it doesn't get as much news and not as much coverage as who won the presidential election but this fundamentally will Mm -hmm. affect how indonesia will be governed over the next five years and the five years after that with how these parties will align will choose who our next presidential candidates are Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us on these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!